0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. ...number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the scripture and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God to continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Mark. <clears throat> I'm on staff here. And maybe I should have said what was in the scripture when I was asked at the last minute to play on guitar. It's not right that I should give up the preaching of the word to play guitar. Uh For the last month or so, we have been making our way through the book of Acts. Uh, Acts picks up right where all the gospel accounts leave off. The resurrected Jesus comes and he he sends his followers out on a mission to go and spread the good news. That good news being that King Jesus has come to usher in God's kingdom where all things will be made new, where our disordered loves will be oriented back to God, uh, and where death itself will be no more. And it's good news because Jesus has already done the work of securing your place in this kingdom. By his life, death, and resurrection, King Jesus welcomes all who follow him into God's kingdom. And the mission of Jesus' first disciples is the same mission of those who follow Jesus today. It's go be a witness to what God has done. Uh, Hence our sermon series title name, Can I Get a Witness, that Ben and I are very proud of. Uh, initially, it was eyewitnesses, right, men and women who actually saw Jesus living and loving, performing miracles, being crucified and rising from the dead. Uh, there's a great verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, you know, if you don't believe what I'm saying, there's like 500 people who are still alive who saw the risen Lord Jesus walking around. Just go ask them. Uh, and so now the church's mission is to be a witness not only to what we know about Jesus through Scripture, but it's also to be a visible expression of the redemptive power of the gospel. Put another way, the church's mission is not only to share the gospel truth with our words, but it's to be a witness with our actions. We wanna be a church that not only values theology and preaching and teaching, meeting people's spiritual needs, but we wanna be a church that's focused on meeting people's physical needs, right? We wanna be a church. What I wanna pitch at you actually is that instead of kind of having these competing views of the two kind of ways you can serve, kind of word versus deed. Christianity claims that you have to have both to have a faithful, powerful witness. Um, So let's pray, and then we'll jump in looking at that. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true, that you give it to us because you love us, and you want us to know more about you. Uh, And so would you help us have a clear vision of what you're saying? Help us to see you the way you'd want us to see you, and help us to see ourselves in the same way as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a timely passage, isn't it? Our church is right in the middle of nominating elders and deacons and men and women to serve on the care team and serve team in our church. Starting tomorrow night, a bunch of them are going to go through months of training, which I'm sure you're all really excited about. And what we see in our passage is really the foundation for deacons. And while we have different categories for those who serve and have gifts in preaching and teaching and kind of meeting more physical needs. So, what was a problem here in the early church in the passage we just read? Look back at verse 1. It says, Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Uh, If any of you have ever worked at a startup or a new company or even a company that just kind of grew really, really quickly, Or if you've been at restoration over the past couple of years, you've seen something that just has grown really, really quickly. And you know that as exciting as that is, is that kind of rapid growth, it comes with some challenges, doesn't it? You know, maybe you had enough staff at the beginning. You even had a little bit of wiggle room for kind of some healthy growth. um, But then all of a sudden everybody's doing the work of like two or three or four people. And again, that can be really exciting, right? And everyone is putting in long hours. They're all kind of in it together. You're always problem solving, always thinking ahead. Um, but you can only handle that kind of pace for so long before you've got to bring other people in to help out, right? Otherwise, people just start to fall through the cracks. You fail to do what you set out to do. So what exactly is the issue here? It says the disciples were increasing in number. In other words, the church is growing. And then a group known as the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews that the Hellenist widows were being neglected. Hebrews, Hellenists, widows, who are these people? Uh, what we got to understand is that when we think of the nation of Israel, like King David and King Solomon, that kind of sovereign nation hasn't existed for like four or 500 years. Um, after King David and King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel took a nosedive and it got so bad it eventually split into two different kingdoms, kind of northern kingdom, southern kingdom. They were both terrible most of the time. And then they both are eventually invaded by like Babylon and Assyria. And most of them were either taken into captivity to kind of work as slaves, or they were just kind of stuck in a different culture altogether and just expected to assimilate and kind of become part of that culture. Um, Some of the Israelites just fled for their lives and they escaped into other countries. And the Jewish people who fled or were taken into exile, uh, they were known as the diaspora or the diaspora. They were the dispersed ones. They were just scattered out of their homeland. So they remained Jewish. They remained faithful to God. They worshiped God. They still stuck to the Old Testament. Uh, But culturally, over a few hundred years, they started speaking different languages, namely Greek. Those are the Hellenists. Those are the Greek-speaking Jews. Um, If anybody else was like me and got a kind of worthless degree in classical history, uh, you know, the Hellenistic age is from like the 300s with Alexander the Great to like 30 AD. None of y'all care. Uh, But they were seen as the somewhat outsiders Uh, to the more kind of pure Jewish people who remain in Israel and they were the Hebrew Jews, right? So Hellenists are Jews who speak Greek and are culturally Greek. Hebrews are Jews who speak Hebrew and Aramaic and they were more culturally traditionally Jewish. Does that make sense? That's like 500 years of Jewish history in two minutes, which I love and maybe you don't. Uh, So the Hellenists are these Greek-speaking Jews had been scattered and some of them had come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and when they're there, they hear Peter and the apostles preaching the gospel. They come to faith, they're converted to Christ, and then they stick around. So the church is growing. And as we've seen in the first couple of parts of the um, book of Acts, the church just explodes. People are coming in all the time, and it's marked by generosity and compassion and love. But in this rapid growth, apparently some of the widows were falling through the cracks in this kind of daily distribution of food. Uh, at best, this is just an oversight by the church, at worst, um, these Hellenist widows are being intentionally neglected they 're new in town, maybe they don't know the right people. People think well we, they 're not really part of our clan, so we 're just going to forget about them either way it 's a very righteous complaint by the Hebrews or by the Hellenists isn 't it? There are a lot of complaints in the church that are not righteous <laughs> because it 's just your personal preference it's like I, I' prefer things this way or want things this way, not this church, other churches. Um, but complaining over the fact that one people group is being neglected and kind of preferred over another people group, especially when it's widows receiving or not receiving food, that, that's a holy complaint. Uh, a widow in this culture would have had a very hard time providing for herself. And in the Old Testament, over and over again, God just hammers home that this command to his people. He says, you cannot neglect the widows, the poor, the orphans, or the sojourner. Sojourner being someone who's just not living in their homeland. so what we call immigrants. Not to get political, but keep that in your brain as you're watching these horrible uh, presidential debates. God refuses his people to let his people neglect widows and the poor and for those who cannot take care of themselves. And in the first days of the early Christian church, apparently the Hebrew widows were being taken care of, the more Jewish Jews, while the Greek-speaking Jews, the kind of outsiders, they were being neglected. In other words, people of one culture were being given preference over another culture. And we've said it before, but the beauty of the gospel is that this good news can go into any culture, it can welcome people in, and completely level the playing field. Right? There's no hierarchy of Christians in the church. And rather than having one's culture that you come from completely erased and kind of replaced by the dominant culture— People are welcomed into God's kingdom and into his church as redeemed men and women from specific backgrounds. Like You don't just have to erase your background or say, well, it doesn't exist anymore because I'm a Christian. You can be a Christian from that particular background or culture. It's okay if all of your preferences are not met in church, because that probably means that somebody else's are being met. Is that fair? The more Chattanooga grows and the more this church grows, this place is going to look different in five years. And rather than view that as a threat, to say, well, it's not how it used to be, what if we saw that as God breaking down these cultural barriers and displaying his power of reconciliation and drawing people in and forming this church of people who otherwise would have no other reason to be in the same room with each other outside of Christ? Amen? There's beauty in that. There's a powerful witness in that. All right, so we know the problem in the early church. What was their solution? Look back at verses 2 through 4. So then the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, that's the original 12 disciples summoning all the church, and said, "It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." So what was their solution? This is so good. Uh, The first thing the apostles do is they define what their role is in the church. They say it's not right that we should give up preaching of the word. And in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. These are the first elders in the church. They are commissioned directly by Jesus to go and bear witness to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And their main role was the ministry of the word and to prayer. The apostles were clear. And again, when I say apostles, the apostles are those 12 disciples who were with Jesus for a few years. He sends them out and they become apostles, just those 12. Uh, They were clear they needed plenty of time set aside for studying and preaching and teaching and prayer. Their day in, day out consisted of applying God's word to people's lives and in praying for them, praying with them. And so it's with pretty great urgency. They say we can't give up ministry of the word to go serve tables. And if you're like me, when you hear that last part, you, you kind of think, hey, guys, that, that sounds pretty condescending to anyone who's in the food industry, all right? Uh, it, says, it sounds like you're putting kind of preaching as having more dignity over taking care of people's uh, needs and kind of having their needs met. Thankfully, it's not condescending at all. Uh, and the original Greek here is really helpful. The word they use for serve, when they say we shouldn't give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, it's that Greek word diaconia. Uh, and that's where we get the term deacon, diakonia is to serve. Um, and then in verse 4, when they say, we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word, the Greek word they use for ministry there is diakonia. It's the same word, it's service. Again, there's, there's no hierarchy of Christian leaders. It's just two different ways of serving his church. Diakonia of the word, diakonia of the table. It's not, an import, it's not a call of importance. It's a, it's a question of calling and gifting. Uh, If you were Michael Scott and you said, explain it to me like I'm five, uh, you'd say, elders serve God's word, deacons serve bread and money, right? And then you'll be six next year. Uh, At Restoration, our our elders and our care team, they strive to meet people's spiritual needs and our deacons and the serve team strive to meet people's physical needs. And it is vital for our church to do both. Uh, If we're only meeting people's physical needs, then we are starving their souls and we're withholding Jesus from them. Uh, If we're only, on the other hand, only meeting people's physical or spiritual needs, then we're failing to live out this incredible generosity that has been shown to us in Jesus. As James says in James chapter two, one of the most piercing parts of scripture, he says, faith without works is what? It's dead. We've got to have both, it's word and deed, caring for people's spiritual needs, caring for their physical needs. Uh, look back at verse 5 to see the second part of the solution. This is good, too. As the apostles, they tell the church to nominate people to serve the widows. And it, you might not have noticed it, but all seven of the men chosen are Greek. They've all got Greek names. All right? Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon. My computer changed it to Parmesan, and I can't remember what it is. Parmenas and <laughs> Nicholas. These are all Greek. They're all Hellenists. <laughs> Uh, there's such wisdom in this and I think it shows a distinct lack of fear for those who are in authority from these apostles right Greek Jews Hellenist Jews come they lodge a complaint that their widows are not being taken care of and it's Greek Jews these Hellenist Jews who are chosen to fix the problem right it's men who know the people who are suffering and those men are given the authority to go take care of it you know what the Apostles don't do the Apostles don't try to keep all the power for themselves And they don't say, well, we'll let the Hebrew Jews kind of take care of this because there's more of them. There's kind of the dominant culture. We're just going to let those guys do it. They don't view roles in the church as a way to means to kind of amass power and keep power. They are more than happy to relinquish that power so that those who are best equipped can serve. Uh, For many of you, if you're nominated to be an elder or deacon or serve on the care team or serve team, regardless if you're going to go through that process or not, if it's a good time for you, just being nominated means that someone noticed you were serving in this church, and they thought, hey, this person needs a, an actual role, an official role in this church. So thank you. You should feel very proud about that. Uh, and please know there are hundreds of you in this church who are serving and doing good work, and if you're not nominated, this, that in no way disqualifies you or diminishes the good service you're doing. To kind of put in perspective, the church at this point was thousands of people, and there were 12 elders and 7 deacons. Very small number. I hope that's helpful. Uh, So we've looked at the problem. Some widows are being taken care of. Some were not. Uh, The solution is that the church picked out um, men who were, as verse 3 says, of good repute, good reputation in the community, full of the spirit and of wisdom. It was people who were already qualified to serve uh, the church in this way. They were nominated. They were given an official role. And then what happened? How did it work out? Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests came obedient to the faith. Hold on to that part about the priests. We'll come back to that. Uh, but instead of just a few people doing all the work of preaching, teaching, praying, and meeting the physical needs, uh, in their wisdom and in God's guidance, they split up those duties between spiritual needs and physical needs. It says, "And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly." because of this two-sided coin of word and deed, God's truth, mercy ministry. Uh, People were coming into faith in Jesus because they heard the truth of the gospel being preached and taught. The church was praying, and it was clear to all that this community was one uh, that was going to take care of those in need. It's a powerful witness. Uh, I was talking to somebody this week about seminary. They're asking about it, and I did seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, like a three-year program program. And I was so excited that I had somehow convinced my brand new wife then that I should go study for three years. We we, like, we got married in Mississippi, and then the next day moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and it was three years of just studying the Bible, learning Greek and Hebrew, learning history, being forced to read all the theological books that I really wanted to do anyway. Uh, and it was going to be great. And it was. We, we met a lot of really good lifelong friends, and it was just this fire hydrant of good information and studying the Bible. But if I'm honest, it was kind of one of the most spiritually dry times of my life, which doesn't make any sense on the surface. I was reading my Bible constantly. I had great quiet times because we didn't have any kids. Uh, I was able to read thousands of pages of just some of the best theology out there. I was absorbing so much gospel truth, but I wasn't really doing anything with it. It was very kind of a selfish way of just kind of soaking in all this information. Um, It was not the time of spiritual flourishing I thought it would be. And that's because I wasn't using it for the benefit of anyone but myself. All that to say, we can know a lot about the Bible. We can read all the Tim Keller books. We can listen to all the podcasts. But if we aren't actually doing anything with that truth, if we're not using that truth to serve our church and our community and our families, we're missing it. Right? That's what Luke is getting here at the, at the end of verse 7. He says that many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In the Old Testament, when God gave his people the role of priest, they were pretty much the deacons of the Old Testament. Right, people would bring their money and their offerings to the temple or the tabernacle. The priest would distribute it out to those in need. Uh, it, was, it was the priests who were most active in mercy ministry. And so when all these priests in Jerusalem, they kind of start poking in and looking at the church, what do they see? Uh, they, they see this incredibly generous Christian community, and how well they're taking care of their widows and their poor. And then they hear the gospel preached and a ton of them are converted because it's a compelling witness because that was their job. It was the priest's job for caring for the widow and caring for the poor. And when they saw this gospel truth being com- proclaimed alongside this generous, merciful community. I mean, that's, that's going to twist the knife a little bit in these guys when they see these people who are not doing what supposed to, or doing what they're supposed to be doing, but they're kind of the sect. And they start following Jesus. We will be a compelling community of people who follow Jesus, and if you're just investigating Christianity, you are welcome to be a part of this community, but we will be a compelling community when we speak truth into people's lives, both the good news and the bad news, and when we live generous lives because of the generosity that has been shown to us in Christ. Uh, Know that Jesus, the creator of the universe, he stepped into our world, he became a man, And he became not to be served, but in order to serve and have to offer his life up as a ransom for all who follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. King Jesus, we thank you for the invitation to come into your kingdom. And it's one that cannot be earned by any amount of good deeds. Uh, It's one that we don't deserve to be in. But by your work on the cross, you freely invite us in. So, Lord, would you help us to live out of that generosity? Would you help us to never think that we are owed something because of what we've done or not done? We are all in desperate need of you and your grace. So help us to treat ourselves and help us to treat others that way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you help us to never think that we are owed something because of what we've done or not done? We are all in desperate need of you and your grace. So help us to treat ourselves and help us to treat others that way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.